Hello, I'm Danielle Nowak with the Chicago Area Archivist, and welcome to season three of the Chicago Open Archives podcast. Um, this season, we'll be diving into the archival origin stories of archive professionals from around the Chicagoland area. Today, I'm here with Andy Stedham. He is the Senior Archives Specialist at Rotary International, who is going to tell us a little about his career path and current role. So Andy, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, thank you for asking me. It's my pleasure. Okay, so the first um, question I'm going to ask you, and it's a question that we're going to ask to um, all of our guests on this season of the podcast. And so if you are at a family party, um, how do you explain to people what you do, assuming that there's someone that's never been to an archive or has no idea of what an archivist does? This has kind of evolved over over time. My instinct at first was always to emphasize, you know, I'm an archivist, you know. And uh, after so many occasions where I got blank stares, um, I just stopped. When I got blank stares, I would then say, well, have you heard of an archives? Who manages the archives? An archivist, you know, and sometimes though, oh, okay. And then, but they, even then, I think, you know, what I finally realized is that even then, that still didn't really un- make them understand anything about what it is that I, that I do. So these days, when I have these kinds of conversations, I talk about history. I preserve history. And, and depending on how interested the person is once I say that, then I might elaborate about exactly what it is that I mean. Um, but I think in some ways that that does make sense. Um, uh, you know, we have so much language that is useful to us, but doesn't necessarily mean what it means to us, to other people. I, I mean, don't even get me started on the whole thing of like archives is a singular uh, you know, when I can just condense it down to, I make sure that things last longer, you know, that SAA slogan, I yeah. love that slogan so much. Um, in fact, I have a bumper sticker of it on the glass partition, which is the you know entrance to the storage space uh, for archives at Rotary. Oh, cool. So what is Rotary? If so, for someone that's not exactly familiar with what you all do. It is a member organization. Uh, It was founded in Chicago in 1905, originally by a lawyer who uh, had a notion of various members of a community representing different kinds of professional life would get together and uh, share their experiences, network, and perhaps learn about other kinds of business. And fairly quickly, they became, they sort of expanded what it is that that club was going to do into more uh, humanitarian service kind of thing. And that's kind of how Rotary um, developed. And these days, you know, it's an international organization, 1.2 million members. And we do all kinds of service projects, uh, both in local communities and sometimes with various communities all over the world banding together to to do something out in the world. Awesome. So 
as in your role as the senior archive specialist, how does that, what does a day look like for you? Our team is uh, called Heritage Communications. Uh, we're situated within the marketing and communications uh, arm on the org chart. Um, and so we preserve the history and use the history of Rotary uh, in order to help communicate both to Rotary and to the larger world, uh, you know, what it is that Rotary is about and what, what it is that we do. And so as a team, that's a lot. We do that in a lot of different ways. But my particular role is specifically about that, making sure that we have an archives that preserves that history so that we have a story to tell. My role is uh, acquisitions. And we don't have, uh, we have a records management program, but we don't have a records manage, manager, you know, manager, management professional. Uh, so that's me instead, which makes sense in the sense that, you know, at least part of the goal with records management is to identify those records that actually belong in the archives and make sure that they make it to the archives before they're not usable any longer or uh, they get destroyed or, you know, what have you. And so acquisitions and then organizing those collections and uh, processing materials. Uh, I handle the kind of systems that, that we use to do all of that stuff. Uh, and then I do things like trying to improve access to what the, the analog materials that we have. So we're actively digitizing content all the time. That's, that's mostly it. You know, everything for, you know, from, you know, acquisition and even prior to acquisition in the sense that I'm doing records management. So I'm talking to records creators and saying, hmm, maybe you want to think about documenting this in a different way so that 30 years from now, 100 years from now, we'll be able to tell this story. Uh, everything from acquisition, creation and acquisition to, um, you know, getting that processing work done. Then there are other people on the team who are responsible for everything beyond that, like creating new content from the materials in the archives or fact-checking somebody else in the organization's work to make sure that what they're saying about Rotary historically aligns with what we can demonstrate in the archives or answering research questions or um, what have you. Okay, and are your collections more um, member-based or are you collecting like content that the organization itself creates? So there are 35,000 clubs all over the world. We couldn't possibly collect materials for all of those clubs everywhere. And it would be kind of crazy to try in the sense that, you know, the clubs that exist all over the world, um, I mentioned before, you know, part of their mission is, is service-based and, and often that involves being involved within the community. And the records that they create are in, in, in that sense, they're records of that community. They belong there not with me. <laughs> um, but the clubs are organized in such a way that there is an organization, the governance is sort of complicated, but there is a board of directors who are made up of members um, who are elected into their role. There is a president uh, and then there's a staff. So, you know, we're, the organization is based in Evanston here in the Chicago area. And, uh, and so, there's a staff that is that's situated in that that headquarters building. That's where the archives are, and uh, and so what we collect for the archives is really at that top level. 
the, the, the governing governance of the entire organization, the records that demonstrate the, the organization at an international level, and the records of the staff that are there to support members and the various things that they do. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Prior to your work at Rotary, um, what was kind of your story into getting into the profession? You know, that telling that story has evolved too over time. Um, because I sort of fell into the profession in some ways. And and what's what's funny about uh, I think about and whenever you're talking, and I don't think this is true of archivists, but I think it's true of other people often too. You know, I think a lot of archivists sort of fall into the profession in one way or another. It's not necessarily the thing that as a five-year-old, you know, that you imagine, oh, I'm going to be this thing, you know, firemen, architects, policemen, maybe, you know, archivists, not so much. But, you know, over time, you know, when you when you do something long enough, you begin to see the ways in which your life is sort of conspired to, to point you in this particular direction. And that's that is sort of what happened with me. So uh, I started uh, my professional life kind of uh, not sure what I was going to do because I had gone to uh, I went to Northwestern. Uh, as an undergraduate uh, in the theater program, and I was going to be an actor. And I figured out just about the time that my uh, my degree program was completing that I probably didn't have it, what it took, what it would take to be successful as an actor. Uh, and so then the question was, what do I do next? And I spent several years kind of figuring out that process. And ended up uh, out of my kind of general love of reading and of books, working in a Barnes and Noble, selling books. And Barnes and Noble sort of prided itself as a, as a bookstore at, at, you know, being a resource and, and helping folks find what it is that they're looking for, particularly that means that you can put the book in their hand and sell it to them. I mean, and I worked there for several years. And what I found was that a lot of people coming into the bookstore were really there, and partially because I was, you know, in a town that's full of universities, so there were lots of university students or whatever. But they were they were there to do research, and often we didn't have the book that they were looking for. We could order it, sure, that was the party line about what you were supposed to do at Barnes and Noble. But but we, you know, often you know there were. I literally had conversations where I was like, you know, maybe you want to try going to the library and. So at a certain point, and, and I didn't do this in a vacuum because there were other folks at the bookstore who were sort of following the same trajectory. But, you know, I sort of realized maybe maybe what I really do want to do, because I like helping people, is, is end up in the library. Um, and so long before I uh, was working at the bookstore or, or sort of established um, an interest in maybe having a library degree, one of the things when I was still sort of drifting and trying to figure out what I wanted to do professionally, uh, one of the things that I ended up doing is, is uh, spending some time in my childhood home because my mother had passed away. I spent, this was after graduating from, from college, um, and what that six months or so ended up being was, was largely going through a lot of her things and figuring out what needed to be kept, what needed to be just discarded, and what I should 
find a new home for, you know, uh, friends or family or, or uh, people who this thing would matter to. And I had to deal with, you know, what you can imagine would be, you know, an emotional experience of, of, of this, you know, my parent, you know, my, my parent who's gone. And, uh, and, and some days just be fearless about it. Just, you know, just go through it. Just, you know, think about it um, and, and separate the, the wheat from the chaff and figure out, you know, uh, and, and so when, when I say that, you know, sometimes from the perspective of the present, you look back and you see how life has conspired to, to, to point you in a particular direction, you know, by the time I was working at the Newberry and I'd begun to understand what archives were, when I looked back at that time going through my mother's things, I realized uh, that what I was being was an archivist. I was being an archivist of my family. I was being an archivist of my mother's things. Uh, one of the outcomes of that experience was that I did collect a lot of her papers, including uh, a, a lot of uh, correspondence between her and my father who knew each other when they were in college, but went to separate colleges, um, you know, and, and that became one of the very first collections that I ever actually processed once I understood what an archivist does. And, you know, it was a practice, uh, you know, collection to, to do. I realized that that was sort of a trial by fire kind of archival experience. Um, and, it was, it definitely contributed to what I, my feeling that this work uh, was meaningful, that it, that it wasn't a, just about, uh, you know, bringing boxes to a reading room table or, or, you know, answering somebody's questions, but that it was helping to perpetuate uh, the legacy of a, of a person or an organization or, you know, something. Um, I was hooked. I mean, even though I knew, in, you know, as I was finishing graduate school, that it was going to be hard to find a job. I, I knew that that's what I, that's the work that I wanted to do. So I uh, enrolled at Dominican University to get my master's in library science. And concurrently with doing that, I also managed to snag a job at the Newberry Library. And um, this is going to date me a little bit, but my my first job at the Newberry Library was as a microfilm camera operator and as a temp. But that sort of uh, introduced me to the magic that is the Newberry Library, both in terms of the collections that are there and the kind of work and research that gets done and the kinds of people that it attracts and um, and, and so forth. Uh, there happened after the microfilm job was going along for a while, there happened to be an, a position uh, in the special collections department as, a, as an assistant. Uh, and I managed to snag that. And that was when I really started to see manuscripts and archives being used in lots of different contexts. And at the Newberry, uh, the magic thing is that, you know, there are manuscripts that are things from the 20th century or the 21st century, and there are manuscripts that are, uh, you know, from uh, the 12th century. <laughs> and so I got to see a lot of different contexts for that. And I really fell in love with what it is that I was seeing. So even though I knew it was going to be an uphill battle to find myself a position, 
somewhere. Um, that's the direction that my graduate studies went in. I continued to work at the Newberry, kind of moving up the ladder of the paraprofessional sort of role within special collections and learning everything I could possibly do and, and interning there. And as I was graduating or shortly after I was graduating, when I was out there uh, trying to, to find myself my first real professional role as an archivist, once again, I really lucked out in the sense that there was a grant position at the Black Metropolis Research Consortium here in Chicago, which is based in the University of Chicago. And it was uh, to do a grant. It was to uh, survey collections within the city of Chicago uh, that have some kind of African-American historical relevance for two years, which, which meant, in essence, that I, with another team of people, traveled around to archives throughout the city, working directly with the staff in the archives and delving into their collections Sometimes that meant sitting in the reading room like a researcher would and them bringing materials to us. Sometimes that meant getting to go behind the scenes and to see where these things were stored and to look through things like accession records and things that are not necessarily accessible to everybody uh, who's doing research which was an amazing training ground. That sounds incredible. Such a great opportunity. So note to uh, prospective archive students, if you can find yourself uh, uh, a position like that, that allows you to meet as many different archivists uh, in a community as possible, take it, please. Because I learned so much from that stint both in terms of meeting lots of different people and seeing different contexts in which archives were being used and, and thinking critically about the value of the kinds of collections that I was looking at, because that was part of the purview of the, the grant project, and imagining, you know, which of these settings would I like to be in, you know, on a long-term basis. And then finally, dealing with, because the survey was both of collections that were to some extent discoverable and processed and available, and lots of collections that weren't, that were unprocessed, that were maybe not discoverable at all or barely discoverable. So I got really used to doing things like, okay, here's three pallets full of boxes. There's no inventory, have at it. And, you know, um, and doing assessment of something that huge the first time was, I mean, I didn't even know where to begin. And by the time, you know, my my time uh, on that grant, you know, was wrapped up, I wasn't scared of pallets full of boxes any longer. I learned a great deal. And so while that was going on, uh, I also volunteered to uh, help with the Chicago Area Archivists. And there was a position open on the steering committee of the Chicago Area Archivists. And I was elected uh, to the steering committee and I quickly became the secretary. And um, while I was uh, on that steering committee, uh, another member of the steering committee was Stephanie Giordano uh, from Rotary International. And come to find out they're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> 
let that be another lesson to prospective archivists. Um, you never know who you're going to work with uh, eventually or have the opportunity to work with. Um, but it certainly, I think, served in my favor, maybe, that we, that my boss, my now boss, uh, my then colleague, uh, on the steering committee knew me already from my experience in the steering committee. What Stephanie had been doing for, uh, a few years, uh, as manager of this heritage communications group, uh, was to advocate for a, a collections person to do what it is that I do. That position didn't exist. And she just secured it and I plumbed it and I've never looked back. That was 10 years ago. So that's a very long winded response to your question, but there's not, that's the trajectory. You know, as I started off by saying, like, you know, you reach a point in your life where, where you, where you sort of see, Oh, it was all inevitable. One thing led to another and I was just destined to end up this way. But you know, it never feels like that while it's happening, you know? Um, it always feels like, not always, but it often feels like, I don't, I don't know if I can sustain this. I don't know if I can make this work. I don't know if I meant to do this at all. Uh, and so forth. So it's funny how telling that story has changed over time. Yeah. It's definitely, it seems like it's a process in getting a lot of people's archival origin stories. It's a process and we don't always just land somewhere right away. Um, so outside of like, because it seemed like you did a lot of networking and professional development. Do you have any tips for folks that are still early in their journey and are just kind of waiting for their moment to find something? You know, I, I was super, I mean, I, I cannot, you know, uh, not acknowledge how incredibly lucky I was in various ways. You know, I, just as I was becoming interested in the library profession generally and thinking of maybe being a librarian, I luck into this, this position that gets me segued into an actual paid position at this incredible library, uh, you know, which meant that I had, you know, my graduate studies, but while that was happening or parallel to that, I was, you know, also like, experiencing the actual profession at the same time, S certainly doing some library work myself, but also observing all of these uh, professionals doing their work, archivists, curators, uh, librarians, uh, all. And not, not everybody is going to have that kind of luck. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't always work uh, that way. But I feel as though, you know, Masters of Library Science is a great program. It's a great degree to have. It's very useful to have if you do want to enter this kind of work. But imagining for a moment that the degree program and the, the training that you'll receive of that program is enough is, is a mistake. And so whether you're able to work your way into a paid position like I had, or you have to pick up various internships or uh, maybe short contingent work, you know, uh, whatever it is that it's going, or, or, or simply volunteer, make sure as you are pursuing this, this career that you are continuously doing that. And, you know, if they're short projects, take it, you know, that's good. Like think of that as a good thing because then you could, you, you need to find another project at yet another place because, you know, again, part of the benefit for me was that I got to see all kinds of different contexts for how archives are used, how they're organized, 
what their value is, how they are valued by the communities that use them. Any archivist needs to have a, a kind of base, I think, understanding of those things in order to do well with, uh, you know, with the, the job. So for you, what are some of your favorite aspects of the profession? I mentioned records management um, as one of my roles, and I'll just say right off the bat, uh, records management is not one of my favorite parts of the job. <laughs> but one of the things that that I have kind of evolved to do over time is kind of similar to that question about you know, how do you t- at, at parties or at you know family gatherings, how do you talk about what it is that you do? You know, I think about the fact that um, at least in the context of Rotary, you know, I'm, I'm sometimes talking to people who may or may not be familiar with archives and probably aren't familiar with archives in the context of Rotary and how the Rotary International Archives work and, and, and why they're important. Um, you know, I, I, I talk about uh, the work that, it, that they do and I talk about how some of what they do is going to be important in the long term. And by the long term, I mean a hundred years from now, because the organization is over a hundred years and we have records from before the origin of the, or, of the organization. And if I'm doing my job right, a hundred years from now, all of the stuff that's being created right now that is uh, needed to, to be able to tell the story of what Rotary does in the world and the impact that it has will be there and available. And when I can connect with staff and, and help them see that they are part of history making for the organization, sometimes that gets me over the hump of the, the, the records management stuff like, oh, yeah, you, you got to organize stuff a little bit better. And um, yeah, you know, I know you want to hold on to that, but that really that that belongs in the archives. And and if you give it to us, you know, we'll make sure that it lasts forever. And you can always ask us for help with the historical questions that you get. That's what we're here to do. You know, that's just hard. But but when I can appeal to somebody about imagining what they do now mattering to the distant future, you know, if people do have an understanding of archives, they often are thinking about it the other way. They're thinking about the archives now and the past and they're and it. The word dust always comes up, you know, and it's like what I do now, I mean, particularly since the pandemic, when I've been working from home, not all the time, but a fair amount of the time, what I do now, dust doesn't come into play, except maybe the dust that gathers on the top of my keyboard, because I'm collecting digital stuff. Like this organization is digital. It doesn't make paper anymore. And in fact, it's the digital stuff that is arguably most at risk at this stage in terms of how we get it to be still around in 100 years. I mean, I have said more than once that the pandemic and the way in which uh, it forced Rotary staff, like many other people, to convert to uh, working from home and, and creating home offices and so forth, because I was separated from the physical archives, which, yes, still involves some unprocessed material, a backlog of, of paper records. Although I have to say, to toot my own horn for a moment, not a lot. Okay. But, you know, there is some, you know, 
what working from home forced me to do is I, I, I couldn't do anything with that stuff. And so instead, I had to spend 24-7 working on the rapidly increasing, you know, amount of digital content that I was needing to collect and needing to tend to and needing to decide how to tend to uh, and develop procedures for and, and so forth. And so there are ways in which in the last two years, I have benefited from the pandemic because I've been forced to do some of that stuff. So it's really interesting that you bring up uh, records management, because I feel like a lot of people, when they think of an archivist, uh, managing electronic records is not the first thing that comes to mind. So would you mind going into a little bit more about like what it means to be a records manager? Like, what does that entail? At Rotary, at any rate, I mentioned that, you know, we don't have a records management professional. Um, and so the board of directors of the organization empowered uh, the heritage communications team that I'm part of to administrate records management for the organization. And, and what that means is, as a records manager would, we have regular communication with often uh, representatives of designated records coordinators representing various teams within the organization. And we touch base with them on a regular basis. And we ask them questions about what do you do and what kinds of recorded information do you produce that provides evidence of what you do within the organization? Or if you are directly supporting Rotary members, individual club members, or Rotary members at the senior level of, of you know, governance within the organization, you know, if you're supporting them, then, then what, what, what recorded information are you producing of their activity, you know, and we document all of that stuff. So we create records retention schedules that identify what that stuff is. And we do several different things with those retention schedules that one purpose is to say, okay, based on your description of these, of the stuff that you produce, here are the things that, from the point of view of the archivist, uh, will have historic value that will tell a story in the future about what it is that you did. And so we put that in the schedule so that it's clear this stuff belongs in the archives. And then because people are sometimes, not always, hesitant to let go of the things that they have shepherded and, and uh, controlled, we establish a, a, a schedule, a, a time where, you know, what is the what is the business need for you to retain these materials? And then when are you, when is that business need lapsed so that while it continues to have an historic value, it's maybe time to move it into the archives. And then, and I, cause I have to fit this in cause I have not mentioned this yet, but you know, this is one of my archives mantras, you know, the records program exists partially to identify those historic things. And it's great that, that our team administrates it because we're the experts. We're, in theory, the people who know whether something's going to have historic value or not, in theory. Uh, but the other goal of the records program is for everything else to make sure that we don't keep it forever, to make sure that we are disposing of it. Because, you know, 
If we do that properly, then what doesn't happen in the archives is that I don't get phone calls from people who are like, hey, I don't have any room anymore and I need to get rid of this stuff. Or, hey, this person is retiring. Do you want any of this stuff? Because I've already designated what it is that I want. You know, I've already said, I've already had conversations with you. You've told me what you have. And I've said, these are the things, you know, and we've established a schedule so I can come to you once a year and I can say, hey, you're due to send me this and this and this and this. And then if you don't do it, I will then hound you until you do do it, you know. So that's what records management is, you know, it's it, it, at Rotary at least. It's identifying the stuff that, that, that really belongs in the archives where it can be preserved perpetually. And then helping the organization to let go of the rest and get rid of it. My favorite thing to do as an archivist is to throw things away. Yes. I really loved how you explained records management because that's something I do part of my role as well. And do you find yourself hounding people? Oh, yeah. I mean, and and in fact, you know, again, uh, I guess, you know, what I was trying to say before was that the the process is trying to appeal to, to some maybe romantic notion on the part of the staff, like, oh, maybe I'm making history and and if I contribute to the archives, you know, maybe I can feel more important, you know, and so forth. Or, you know, and so, or, or just appealing to the romanticism of when I say long term, I mean long term, you know, that kind of thing. It, it, it's it, when I do have to hound somebody, you know, I, I, I like to, to lighten it. I have to say, like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm harassing you about this, but I am going to continue to harass you about this because it's important, you know, and I have to acknowledge, look, I know you're busy and I know this is not top of mind and I know this is not your top priority and it's never going to be, and that's okay. It's not urgent, but it also can't be left to when, whenever you feel like it because X, Y, Z, you know, because we need to ensure that while we can still take steps to preserve this and make it possible to be used in the distant future, that we do it. You know, I have a, a very old, um, the really big floppy disks, you know, the, the nine inch, I guess yeah. the nine inch ones. Yeah. One of my favorite things that I, you know, pulled out of a box once uh, in, at the Rotary Archives, and I have it kind of up on my cube wall as, you know, a demonstration, I guess, of the risk. <laughs> while, while it's not impossible that I could retrieve that data, you know, and I have ultimately, we've ultimately made the decision that whatever was there probably uh, wasn't worth keeping in the first place. Right. But, you know, I, but I love it as an illustration because it's like, yeah, this is what we're talking about here. And don't let your stuff become like this giant floppy disk that most people need me to explain what it is, you know. Going from working to like from a special library to Rotary, um, which is, would you say it's like a members-based organization? What do you think some of the major differences are? Uh, maybe not so much in the collections, but just like in your work. Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked that question because it's important. Um, you know, my background, because I'd been at, at Newberry and then working at Black Metropolis, you know, while Black Metropolis is a consortium of lots of different kinds of places, most of them were still in this sort of academic library vein. 
And so when I moved to, when I took the position at Rotary, it was really my first situation in a sort of corporate, corporate's not quite right. In fact, you know, my team and I have been trying to figure out for years exactly what we are in terms of, uh, but, but we, but we at least have a lot more in common with a corporate archives than I think we do with a library. We're not a library at all. And while we do support research externally and, and can help uh, folks who have no direct connection with Rotary um, on a limited basis, limited in the sense that there are certain things that we can't share that, that you know, we were not able to uh, distribute to the wide public. But it was a it was a it was a huge shift. It was a huge shift. It's not a library, and you know one of the ways that that manifests itself and 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 became clear to me is you know I mean I went to graduate school in the in the mid to late two thousands, and so one of the big things in the archives world was EAD EAD. We're going to share finding. We're going to put finding aids online, and they're going to all connect up with one another. And all of this stuff, and you know, I, I learned a lot from all of that. That was really valuable, you know. And I remember, I remember my interview with, with Stephanie. I, w- I remember talking a little bit about EAD, and you know, ultimately her being like, "Yeah, we don't really care because, and why do we not care? Because while as part of my job processing materials, I do create finding aids, and we do have a archives content management system and we have a digital asset management system too. And we have a digital library uh, where some of these documents go in and so forth. And we create metadata for all of that. Uh, and we and the finding aids that we produce are, you know, conform to DAX. So, you know, we're using standards that are that are compatible with the rest of the world. When it comes time to use this stuff. We're not talking about researchers for the most part. We're not talking about people who have the patience to, when they ask a question and you say, well, let me show you some finding aids. Let me explain to you how the finding aid works so that you can determine what uh, materials you might need in order to, now what they want is the answer. Yes. And, uh, and so, that's what we do. You know, what, what we provide, you know, we provide research services. We provide both the, the acquisition and the preservation of the archives, and we provide the output. Uh, we answer questions. You know, I mentioned content. You know, sometimes it's supporting other people's content that has some kind of historic angle. Sometimes it's producing our own content, whether it's exhibits or, you know, I mean, with an organization as old as Rotary, we you know we produce material specifically about history and rotary history you know but if you went to our website and looked for finding aids you know or looked for you know you're not going to find them and the reason is because you know while we need them in order to find things um we're not generally speaking providing that for other people for them to do the research and that was a huge shift it was a huge shift to to suddenly realize um, okay, we have a we have an obligation to meet standards, and because the standards are good, they're they're a good way of describing collections. The the whole notion about like get your finding aids out online and and you know increase access and put every digitize everything and put it all out there, you know, it's just not relevant to us. So, how do you feel that changes how you do outreach? 
Well, again, to illustrate the, the, the business of, you know, kind of talking to somebody internally who may be hesitant to, to let go of some of their stuff or, you know, um, not sure what that means or, or, you know, whether they can trust us with it or, you know, there, there are all sorts of reasons why we sometimes struggle to, to, to make the, the scheduled transfers of things happen. One of the tools in my arsenal is to say, look, if you give it this to us, you don't have to worry about it any longer. And when you get a historic question, you don't have to answer it. You just go, you just send those people to us. Let us do that work for you. And that's just so different from my academic experience where it's all about empowering the person who's come to a place with some kind of curiosity. You know, it's not that we haven't had researchers and even staff who want to do some of that digging through boxes or digging through file directories <laughs> on, online, you know, that does happen some, but um, more often than not, you know, we are there to take the burden of that work off of them. Do you ever get requests for or from external researchers? Yeah, yeah. I mentioned, you know, we do some and, um, you know, there's a, a, a history book about Rotary's early years that was just published relatively recently with a researcher who worked with us over a period of many years, actually, to, to get that together. So while we are not necessarily able to share everything in the archives because of things like privacy concerns, because of things like intellectual property and so forth, um, you know, there is, there is a fair amount that we can share and we will support that. Um, and so, you know, there have been times when I've had to share my little, you know, archives processing office space with some outsider who's come in, who's there, uh, you know, in our makeshift reading room, you know, uh, looking at materials that, that uh, we've, you know, pulled for them based on their requests, you know, but it's a rarity. It's a real rarity. And what do you think some of the challenges are just in kind of being an archivist in general? Well, I mentioned the, the, the sort of digital as much as, you know, acres and acres of archival literature has been written about, you know, dealing with your backlog and dealing with all the paper and dealing with all the boxes and so forth. And, you know, yes, we still have some of that. The, the huge quantities of digital stuff that, you know, fits into this category of we've said that it's historic. We've said that we want it, you know, that is now accumulating in various uh, storage, you know, archive storage, you know, interim unprocessed storage, you know, uh, and the kind of, you know, I'm, I'm working towards some standards for doing a sort of a, a minimal processing model to get as much of that stuff described at the only barely adequate level, as opposed to the, you know, the standard that I would put a lot of things to if I had the ability. And one of the challenges that I'm that I'm having right now to 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 establish the sort of minimal processing standards is that every time I deal with a new set of digital stuff, the problems are different. You know, sometimes it's file format obsolescence. Sometimes it's that the stuff is so poorly organized that I do not understand what I am looking at. Or there are 97 levels of file directories down, you know, drilled down so far that it's like, I, I, I mean, the, the nightmare 
talk about records management. The nightmare about digital storage is that because there's this notion that we have infinite capacity to store digital stuff, we don't delete anything and we don't really worry about organizing it because we rely on things like, let me just do the spotlight search on my desktop to find the stuff, you know? And, and as a result, like, you know, we have records of the central filing department of Rotary International from the 1930s that are beautifully organized into wonderful, you know, sets that, that tell you exactly what they are and, and, and so forth. And, you know, there may be issues with, with that because, that's the person's from that time period, their perspective on what that stuff is. But comparing that to these 97 levels in a file directory, you know, it makes me pine for that central filing department, you know? So that's something I really, that's something I really struggle with. And yet, I guess, you know, I'm in a sort of fun, unique position in that, you know, I'm the person to, to figure it out. I'm, I'm the one that's going to figure it out for the organization if it's going to get figured out. <laughs> kind of going back to the records management and file transfers. I think a lot of people, especially like a lot of archivists, are familiar with people bringing boxes of their stuff to the library and dropping it off. So from a digital perspective, um, what does that file transfer kind of look like as opposed to the boxes? Yeah, that's sort of evolved too. And it's probably going to evolve even further. Um, like many organizations, when I started at Rotary, we were kind of a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, record keeping activity was uh, sort of networked storage, you know, on, on internal servers. And, you know, like the rest of the professional world, you know, we have slowly, slowly begun to move all of that stuff into the cloud. So when I first came on, one of my first responsibilities, again, this was 10 years ago, was to sort of figure out, okay, what are our digital acquisitions processes, you know? And that was pretty, what I came up with was kind of predicated on this notion about moving stuff from different internal servers. And so now that that is less of what we're dealing with, the problems are different and it may not necessarily be be useful. But if you're familiar with digital preservation and uh, digital processing concepts, you know, part of the idea is that just like you would maintain documentation with a donor or the provider of those boxes about what it is that those things are and, uh, you know, if there's an inventory, what's inventory and, and, you know, how did they use it and what's their history and all of those kinds of things, uh, you know, we, we package quantities of digital records in such a way that that is associated with, you know, the very thing that we would do with paper, which is there's an accession and that accession, you know, um, tells us a lot about, you know, where it came from and who provided it and, and uh, who they are and where they are within the organization and so forth. Um, and then we collect a certain amount of information if we're talking about moving from one server to another about that to, to prove that, okay, these are authentic files. They have been, you know, that they are, they are exact copies of what was, you know, what was uh, the originals that were provided uh, and so forth. And so, you know, there's, there's an alignment there. It, it, it looks a little bit different, you know? And uh, so a lot of times I'm, you know, I'm basically trying to talk to these 
records coordinators representing different parts of the team saying, okay, well, you need to move these things from their native place to this other location. And then I will be able to grab them there and put them into the archive storage, you know, which I guess is progress in a way, because whenever I did do paper and I just don't do paper much at all anymore, but in the first few years at Rotary, I definitely did. And often the only way that I could manage to get stuff into the archives was if I agreed to pack things up myself and just take it. And so at least now they're actually having to do part of the work for me. <laughs> So if I am, let's say I'm a Rotary staff member and you have emailed me because you need my stuff for the archives, what does that process kind of look like? How am I giving you that stuff? First, I want to make sure that we're both on the same page about what we're talking about. And so, I, you know, I use these retention schedules that I talked about before as a, as a starting point. And I can say, you know, here are the things that according to the retention schedule are due. And if it's scheduled. This is, you know, that's what we're doing now. I can actually say, okay, well, so based on the schedule stuff, this is the stuff that is now due to come to me. So I can be more specific. So I usually provide a filtered version of the retention schedule that's just showing the stuff that comes to the archives. And I will say, this is what's due. You last time, if you've given me something before, I can say, you are, I already have this. This is the next set of things that you need to give me, you know? And then I give them a place that I want them to move the files to, and I make sure that they're clear on, on that. Sometimes then we have to, you know, kind of go over the whole issue of like, okay, yes. So what if you need to access this again in the future? Well, that's when you would come to the heritage team and then we will help depending upon what your needs are. We'll either answer the question that you're after, or we'll literally provide you access to those digital records if, if that's what you actually need. And so hopefully then by the time I've had all those conversations, they will give me at least some of what I'm asking for. I mean, it's, it's, it's a slow process. You know, it's, it's, it's rarely like, it's, it's rare that the record coordinator just provides everything that I've, that I had ever asked for. Um, and that's okay. Cause we'll, you know, it, it's a process. <laughs> for a new professional coming into the field, what are some things that you would like them to know or would like to prepare them for? Uh, the general public doesn't necessarily know what an archivist does, but they may have an idea of what a librarian does. And the cliche is always like, oh, so you must really like to read because the notion is that the librarian is constantly reading, you know? And of course the librarian is not constantly reading. That's not at all what a librarian does. And in the similar way, you know, while in my time at the Newberry, in my time with Black Metropolis, in my time with Rotary, I have access to and work with all kinds of great stuff. You don't care for, preserve, uh, arrange and describe, collect uh, materials so that, so that you know, they're preserved in the archives by reading all of it. <laughs> If you did, you would not be good in the job. So it's not, you know, there's lots of exciting stuff in there, sometimes really exciting stuff that I have to, that I have to be like, oh, that's neat. And then immediately move on because if I don't, then I am not dealing with that increasingly that huge backlog of digital content that I keep mentioning, you know? So I think that's it. It's, it's that, yeah, sometimes archives can be full of really cool stuff and yes you get to work there and that's fun 
but but you know if I could if I had a dime for every time I had I had to be like I'd really love to learn more about that but I don't have time then I probably wouldn't ever have to work another day in my life so even though you don't always get to really dive into the collections um like the way we'd really want to do you have a favorite collection that you've worked with so far uh I mean you know it's hard, but I, I will I will say that um, because I'm sort of right in the middle of it, I mentioned that we're digitizing content. And, you know, we have for many years, Rotary has had an in-house video production uh, team. You know, um, they do things like travel abroad and they, you know, document um, projects that club members or other Rotary members are are involved with. Then that content is used for various purposes for the organization, be it, you know, promotion or fundraising or, you know, uh, or public relations or, you know, whatever. That, you know, team dates back to a sort of pre-digital world where they were producing massive quantities of videotapes. So we have a huge videotape collection. I am almost halfway through a five-year plan of digitizing that content, which among other things involves figuring out what I can throw away that we don't actually want to digitize and preserve. So again, I get to do my favorite thing, which is throw things away. Although I haven't thrown anything away yet because, man, throwing videotape away is really bad for the environment. And if anybody knows how to sustainably and ethically dispose of videotape, please contact me because that is definitely a problem I'm going to have before this project is over. But anyway, I'm slowly, slowly, you know, digitizing and learning a lot about the material. Again, I don't have time to watch the videos except maybe brief little excerpts, you know, but I am learning quite a bit about both about rotary and about uh, video production uh, and about, and I'm also just seeing a lot of, uh, amazing, sometimes bizarre uh, uh, video uh, content, and so um, it is one of the one of the most fun things that I'm that I'm working on right now. Awesome! And so, how do you digitize those tapes? We work with a vendor um, that has equipment that um, basically can play back every format known to man because we have every format. Um, and then they convert. We did uh, quite a bit of research prior to beginning this project about what standards we wanted to uh, apply to, to do all that kind of stuff, informed in part by some training that I received at a Chicago area archivist webinar. Thank you, Kristen McDonald. And so, you know, they handle all of that stuff for us. So, so what I'm left with then is this sort of selection process. Like, okay, I don't, I have 10,000 tapes. I don't, I know I don't need all of them. Uh, where are the duplicates? Where is the stuff that is not worth keeping, uh, and, and so forth? And how do I find it before I end up sending before I end up sending something to the vendor that I don't want? So my last question: Would you do it again if you could go back to maybe late high school, looking into professions, knowing that this was going to be kind of your path? Is this what you do? It's funny because, you know, I mentioned in this time when I'm working at the bookstore, you know, and I'm thinking about library school. And I, when I was more or less determined to go to graduate school, I had two ideas. One was 
library school and the other was a creative writing program. Um, and so I sometimes wonder, you know, who would that Andy have been had I, um, you know, but uh, I know enough writers to know just how solitary that work is. And one of the things that maybe I wouldn't have anticipated about the path that I've gone on is I've met so many amazing people through the work that I do. I would have missed out on all of that, or I would have had to go through, I mean, I'm an introverted person and it may be kind of funny to people to think that I'm an introverted person considering how long-winded I am, I realize, but, um, but I would have had to, to really come out of my shell a lot on my own if I had been a writer uh, versus the, the ways in which I've been able to do that um, as an archivist. So yes, I would totally do it again. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks.